What is up? I have been off Anchor for a very long time, and that's because I typically do one social media network at a time. And Anchor's, although it is pretty quick, it does take me a little bit of time, but I'm going to try to come back a little bit now. So on this episode, I want to talk about LinkedIn because it's something that I just started to use again and have found tremendous value already in, and I'm going to answer one question as well. So I re-logged into LinkedIn today, and I've already figured out basically how to use that network, at least how I'm going to use it. And I, I kind of workshop ideas on Anchor. That's kind of I like just talking out loud. And I used to take voice notes, but I find that this is kind of like a public voice notes kind of platform. So uh, I do a lot of brand work as a company, uh, as a YouTuber, and as a software company, and currently as an advisor. I actually got my first advisorship. Um, with a company, which has been really uh, very cool, and I'm looking forward to learning about that process. But long story short, I work with a lot of companies, and uh, the I think the head of product or head of marketing added me on LinkedIn, and I went to my LinkedIn profile, and I spent a little bit of time just clicking around. I guess I had a minute there, and after exploring LinkedIn, I just I, it clicked in my head. I was like, I know exactly what this plat- platform is for. I wrote my first article and I shared it. And it's been really interesting um, jumping back into that platform that I considered dead for many, many years. But it obviously has some st- strengths with it, acquiring Linda and then Microsoft acquiring it. Uh, so I just want to list and talk about and workshop just some of the ideas about LinkedIn and what I'm going to be doing for the next at least month on it. I usually give platforms like a month of, um, of trying. So first of all, LinkedIn, your profile. So it's like your name, what your current title is. That's an important bit, your current title, like what you do and where you're based. And then you, you scroll down and it's a resume. And all this res- although this resume can be gamed and faked, um, I think that that's probably a really bad idea. I'm sure people do it. Um, but it does link to like actual companies who have accounts and it has recommendations and things like that that have less value for me about actual people. Um, but what's nice about it is it's very quick to tell <clears throat> um, what people are actually doing today and where they've been uh, as far as their career. And while platforms like Instagram, I really champion as like your what are you doing right now kind of portfolio. It's in, in kind of vlog if you're doing stories. I think it's a really good vlogging platform. Um, basically, you, you're not going to scroll down like someone who, who does Instagram every day. You're not going to scroll down past 365 posts. You're not, it's, it's not going to happen. Most people don't scroll down at all. It's just the top nine, and that's all you're going to see. So with LinkedIn, it's much more of a summary of where you used to work. And if you look at my LinkedIn profile, which I spent a good hour um, redoing and trying to make uh, accurate to represent where I've been and what I'm doing now. It says University of Rochester, where I went to college, which I don't care about. But um, then it says 10 years as a cinematographer in New York City, where I talk about very briefly what I did there. And then it's uh, three years ago, I started Cinematography Database. That's a, a point there. And then a year uh, a year ago, more or less, I created Cine Designer, which I haven't made its own thing for that yet, but I feel like that very accurately in a very quick piece of uh, content shows the history of what I've done. I'm a cinematographer who worked in the industry. You don't have to believe that from the bio, but that's what it says. And then I went on to start Cinematography Database, which I made myself the owner of. I feel like that's the last, the least douchebaggy way of saying that I started and own a company. I feel like it's kind of ridiculous to say CEO or founder if your company doesn't have 
uh, one, an executive board. If it doesn't have an executive board, you're not really the CEO. Uh, and two, a founder kind of feels like to me like you've moved on sort of and that someone else in another team or a bigger company is being run under it. Those are just little things that I pick up on as far as like, you know, the the nomenclature. I feel like um, owner is accurate. Like I own the company. I feel like small companies say that as well. So it's this nice little resume piece and I appreciate being able to find other people and then look at where they've ended up because early in your career you're like oh yeah i'm gonna be a dp i'm gonna be a dp forever i'm gonna be a you know a graphic designer forever well having been 10 years in the game a lot of people don't stay in the film industry or their original industry they move around right so there's people that i used to know as a producer that are now um you know head of production at vice or they're um an account manager at vayner media i know all these people i was like wow this is so interesting to see where people ended up and facebook and instagram isn't the place for that to find that stuff and i find that linkedin immediately it's so helpful to very quickly summarize what your career has been and where you are today so how do, how do you use linkedin or how am i going to use it i'm just gonna say how i'm going to use it i don't know how you guys should use it but I basically wrote an article where I summarized my how I use YouTube and how I think about YouTube as far as a business, right? And that's who on that's who is on LinkedIn and who I'm trying to attract with the content. So I made this pretty quick kind of medium style uh, clickbaity type article about Facebook and there not Facebook about YouTube and there is a lot of value in it I think for people that don't engage on YouTube and what it's used for and and possibly people who have been interested on from a business point of view why I spend so much time on YouTube as a software company um, and an education company at this point now too but um, I wrote this whole article um, probably like 300 words something like that and I shared it on Facebook and Twitter that's it I didn't like go to town like promoting it I could get a lot of views to it if I wanted to using other means but I just let it go kind of passively and already I reconnected with um, two owners of two companies that I had met a long time ago on LinkedIn and they immediately wrote back to me messaged me one of them said there was a typo so that was that was funny but then it turned into a conversation about YouTube um, and he doesn't use YouTube at all for his company but he's, he'd considered it and he's thought the article was really great and then um, an, the, an owner of another software company who um, I met a while ago, he wrote in one of the comments and said this is great and he'd love to hear my thoughts on the other social media platforms. So already natively on the platform I had connected, reconnected with people who own companies who aren't going to be on YouTube. They're not on Facebook or at least we're not connected and they're not on Twitter. They're not on anywhere else but they're on LinkedIn because LinkedIn is kind of like this corporate kind of social social network whereas if you're like a kid and you don't want to do that that's fine but for me as a business it's great it's where i get to go talk to other people that are running companies and you know in in value linkedin and so immediately this article is already doing work for me and i'm going to completely continue to put um content there in written form blogs are always how i start off but you can put photos so i can put like you know infographics or whatever i want to do or i can put videos i can make content specifically for linkedin and for me, I'm interested in engaging with other people who own companies, um, people who are marketing, who are head of marketing for these companies, and possibly um, uh, other people as well. But those are the main ones, you know. So if I want to talk about business stuff and marketing things and stuff like that, th this is the network. Um, so that's that's what's been successful for me already. Um, talked with Roberto Blake, who is on Anchor, on Twitter about it. He's all over it. He's been there for a while. G Gary V is, of course you know, kicking ass on that platform as well, but I, I finally understand how I'm going to use it, and I'm going to be putting in time there 
um, from a business point of view. That may not be helpful for cinematographers and filmmakers at this point in your career, but um, sometimes you change around, um, and that's that's um, the cinematographers that go on to make companies or treat their video company as a business-to-business endeavor. I would possibly reconsider looking at LinkedIn and the companies that you may want to work for have them hire you they might be on LinkedIn and they might be really interested to be like how can video help your company or whatever you know you make the content that attracts those people don't sleep on it too hard just think about it maybe go look at it they might be on LinkedIn that head of marketing at the company you're trying to work for or the CEO who's like or the president's like hey I saw this really cool article on video we should check these guys out they may not be on Instagram because they might be older right so that's that's how I'm using it and that's one quick thing off the top of my head how about maybe a freelance um, video company could use LinkedIn as well so interestingly enough the first thing that people asked me when I said I was gonna go you know kinda ham on LinkedIn which I'm going to um, people said why not medium and I've written to medium before and medium has been accepted by the tech community as a place to announce things and have discussions and there's some interesting stuff there I still read medium every day I get the, their, their newsletter they kind of curate the feed and then newsletter it to you every day um, but the difference between medium and LinkedIn is two things one is that the native audience and I'm doing native content I'm not republishing my blog or something like that this is content native I'm writing in the platform is that the native audience of LinkedIn that I'm looking for are other business owners so I'm talking like people who own like the manu- all the manufacturers that you use for the film industry it is my goal I mean I already know a lot of these people my goal is to have a place to be able to communicate with them about things that are relevant for them and that's not what most DPs or whatever want to do but that's something that my company does and I value it's why I went to NAB was to meet face to face with the heads of marketing or the heads of the actual companies Um, I won't use their names but I am sort of collecting if you want to say uh, their attention on LinkedIn Um, That's what I wanted to do, whereas Twitter, which we could talk about separately, Twitter is where I go to quote-unquote collect the attention of other video influencers and writers. And I've done a pretty decent job of that, I think. Um, That's where I've gone to collect their attention because that's where they are and that's where we have conversations. Well, they're not on LinkedIn, not very many of them, but the CEOs and marketing people of those companies they're not on Instagram and they're not on Twitter and they're not really on Facebook and if they're on Facebook they're talking about their kids or something like that which is fine too but LinkedIn has this native audience of marketing people and heads of businesses and those are people that I want to be able to talk to every now and then and it's been working out great already there's a messaging service on it I've been DMing with the CEOs of, of and presidents of other companies and that's great these are people that I was not speaking to um, otherwise and the other thing about LinkedIn other than uh, medium is that LinkedIn owns Linda and Linda is one of the biggest online course um, libraries is that what we call it at this point and they cross promote the courses to the people per industry so for instance uh, if you are a 3d animator and you're on LinkedIn building out your portfolio it's gonna be sending you courses suggestions based on um, your interest in 3d it, it kind of knows that now I'm not I, I think that the content on Linda for video production could use a little be a little bit of reworking I've never made a course for them I've made a course for almost every other video course platform now I'm making my own but I am now because Cine Designer has become such a mature product especially after Set Designer comes out I am actively moving into cinematography training as far as video content now I also want to move it into cinematography training for VR and AR but video content is a decent um, or video training is a decent business and I've already been selling 
uh, my first course on my platform really well. So to kind of tie in possibly not only talking and speaking to the attention of the uh, presidents and owners of companies and some of their higher up employees and marketing people, I can also possibly deploy courses through that as well. So those are the two main things that make it much different from Medium, whereas Medium is just kind of like a platform where like I don't really know exactly how to use it. I know you can trend on it. I've seen a couple of people trend on it, but it's the people that are there aren't the ones that I want the attention of. Those people are on LinkedIn. Hey, Matt. It's uh, Josh Hill calling in and uh, really admire your work that you've been doing and the tools you've been putting out for all the DPs and people and content creating. And uh, just wanted to say... I have a commercial that I shot for a big brand and I'm going in to do a color session um, at a fairly large post house and it's going to be probably my first time going in to a post house with the colorist sitting down and really diving into the spot and just want to see if you had any tips and um, insightful things for me when going into this. Uh, I've worked with freelance colorists in the past, but uh, not with a big post house like this. So yeah, I would love to hear what you got. Thanks, man. Keep it up. Hey, Josh. Thanks for the call. And sorry that I think you sent it in a while ago, but I've been off anchor for like a week or something like that. I've been developing a, a, another plugin and that takes, that takes every second of every day, believe it or not. I, I can't even pick up my phone to do anchor. But um, your question was about working with a, a colorist and at a bigger house. So the unfortunate answer, in my opinion, with colorists is that it's based on relationships. It's kind of like directors and DPs. The more jobs you do together, the more shorthand you have, the more intuition you have about what brighter means, what more contrast means, that sort of thing. Like these words that you think are very straightforward transforms in your head to them might be different. And you have to learn each other's language. And unfortunately, that's on your your production company's dime because, you know, the colorists uh, are charging hundreds to thousands per hour, so you don't typically have as much time with them. So it's it really is this relationship that that um, that forms, and, and eventually you start to understand each other's work. And it's why certain DPs or directors only work with one certain colorist. It's not because like they're the best. It's it's because they have a relationship, and like once you have that language down, you don't really want to risk. Um, working with someone where you're going to have to relearn that and possibly screw it up. So if this is your first time working with the colorist, you just have to do the best you can to get on the same page. And I think a lot of that is references and depending on your knowledge of Resolve or Baselight or Pablo or whatever they're using or Combustion, just like just knowing how to speak the language of a colorist. So it, it depends if you really understand like how to grab the curves and the wheels and all that, you know, you can speak a little bit more specifically. They may not be super on board with you being that specific. Um, but I think a lot of it is bringing references and just trying to stay on top of, or just trying to get on the same page as far as what a look means. Like what does making it cooler mean? You know, are you gonna say make the mids cooler, make the, the blacks cooler and is cooler towards cyan, cooler towards purple, you know, like so like which direction are you are you pushing the color vector that sort of stuff you just really want to try to understand i think each other's language and try to communicate to the colorist what level you can speak to coloring as well because a lot of dps just show up and they're like we want it to be brighter 
there. But they don't understand the technical execution of it, which is fine. That's why colors exist. I think your goal is to get on the same page and then hopefully be on the same page as the director so you can then uh, communicate what the director wants if he or she can't do it themselves. Sometimes the directors really lead the coloring session. You're, the just, you're just there to support or answer questions as far as color temperatures and that sort of thing. So it's all a big dance and relationship, but I think a lot of it comes down to just communication and understanding what you're trying to get done so that there isn't time wasted and you're not redoing things. Hopefully that helps a little bit. Hey Josh, thanks for the call and sorry that I think you sent it in a while ago, but I've been off Anchor for like a week or something like that. I've been developing a, a, another plugin and that takes that takes every second of every day, believe it or not. I, I can't even pick up my phone to do Anchor. But um, your question was about working with a, a colorist and at a bigger house. So the unfortunate answer, in my opinion, with colorists is that it's based on relationships. It's kind of like directors and DPs. The more jobs you do together, the more shorthand you have, the more intuition you have about what brighter means, what more contrast means, that sort of thing. Like these words that you think are very straightforward transforms in your head to them might be different and you have to learn each other's language and unfortunately that's on your your production company's dime because you know the colorists uh, are charging hundreds to thousands per hour so you don't typically have as much time with them. So it's, it really is this relationship that that um, that forms and, and eventually you start to understand each other's work and it's why certain DPs or directors only work with one certain colorist. It's not because like they're the best, it's, it's because they have a relationship and like once you have that language down you don't really want to risk um, working with someone where you're going to have to relearn that and possibly screw it up. So if this is your first time working with the colorist, you just have to do the best you can to get on the same page and I think a lot of that is references and depending on your knowledge of Resolve or Baselight or Pablo or whatever they're using or Combustion, just like just knowing how to speak the language of a colorist. So it, it depends. If you really understand like how to grab the curves and the wheels and all that, you know, you can speak a little bit more specifically. They may not be super on board with you being that specific. Um, but I think a lot of it is bringing references and just trying to stay on top of, or just trying to get on the same page as far as what a look means. Like what does making it cooler mean? You know, are you going to say make the mids cooler, make the, the blacks cooler and is cooler towards cyan, cooler towards purple, you know, like so like which direction are you are you pushing the color vector that sort of stuff you just really want to try to understand i think each other's language and try to communicate to the colorist what level you can speak to coloring as well because a lot of dps just show up and they're like we want it to be brighter there but they don't understand the technical execution of it which is fine that's why colors exist i think your goal is to get on the same page and then hopefully be on the same page as the director so you can then uh, communicate what the director wants if he or she can't do it themselves sometimes the directors really lead the coloring session you're the just you're just there to support or answer questions as far as color temperatures and that sort of thing so it's all a big dance and relationship but i think a lot of it comes down to just communication and understanding what you're trying to get done so that there isn't time wasted and you're not redoing things. Hopefully that helps a little bit. So that wraps it up. Uh, if you are someone who owns a company, if you do marketing for a company, if you're interested in social media at a business level, not just for like, you know, for fun and how to be popular and whatnot, but like an actual business tool, which is the way that I look at it, then I guess follow me on LinkedIn. I'm very specific about who I'm connecting with. I actually deleted all of my connections and I only have like 15 now. And I'm going to be very, very... Um, specific with who I am connecting with. It's not if we're friends or not, it's if we're doing business together. And I want this organic growth through that network and I want to see who it recommends and I want to see how LinkedIn 
builds out my network for me. It's kind of an experiment, um, but you can follow me there. I'm, I'm going to be putting exclusive content there on my thoughts on social media. I guess I kind of bring it here as well, but it's a little bit more polished, less free thought there. Uh, on the cinematography side of things, if you didn't know, I have a new course out that's on white cycling. You can find that at courses. Dot cinematographydb.com. I have downloaded into that course and organized most of my thoughts on studio lighting for white psych specifically, but also for blue screen and green screens. It's also really relevant there from basically the smallest white psych you can do, which is like a seamless paper, pretty much all the way up to some of the biggest ones. I've tried to cover all the concepts and techniques that I've learned and used. In that course, you can go check it out there if you are interested. And also, I've been developing Set Designer, which is allowing me to be able to visualize what like a modern house or apartment looks like. So it very quickly um, allows you to create rooms with doors, with windows, cabinets, sinks, all that really boring stuff you wouldn't think about. But once you hop into Cine Designer and you learn how to use the cameras and the lights, you realize very quickly that there's not much to do unless you have like an actual set to work with. This is that solution for that, and if you're working with a production designer or anyone, they should be able to relatively quickly with some, you know, some learning curve there to, to get into Cinema 4D if you've never touched it, to be able to visualize and create, honestly, like a very realistic house and or just movie set out of flats. So that wraps it up for this. I'm going to try to do a little bit more Anchor. I do like the Collins. I like everything about it, and uh, hopefully everyone's enjoying this. I will see you guys on the next one. Cheers.